fueled by the outdoors, your source for hunting, fishing, archery, and all things outdoors. Do that. So, cheers, guys. Cheers. We have a great podcast here. Prost. Going? Prost. Cheers, guys. All right. So, three, two, one. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. We're your hosts, Rick Cates and Chris Leppert. What's up, guys? And this evening, we are joined by Kyle Skelly. Hey, guys. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Um, Kyle, uh, we're, you know, we kind of uh, came to know of you through some of the stuff that you're doing uh, with public land uh, utility stuff that you are uh, developing. But uh, as we just talked about a little bit, you are quite the outdoorsman and uh the way we tend typically start these podcasts off a little bit is just getting a you know a background of each individual who's coming on here and their history with the outdoors so if you could man like tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from and what your history with the outdoors has been yeah so uh again my name's kyle skelly and i'm uh from western pennsylvania kind of born and raised here still live around western pennsylvania so uh really no plans to move elsewhere. Uh, it's a, you know, it has everything to offer, at least in my eyes, kind of close to, uh, close to work. And as well, gives me a chance to, you know, do everything I love, um, you know, with the outdoors and kind of how, you know, my love affair started with the outdoors is actually not really on the hunting side of things. It was fishing, uh, at a young age, my, uh, my dad, uh, brought me in on the trout fishing side of things. And that just kind of, really stuck to me and gave me a passion that actually later on in life, I would say probably about like maybe four or five years ago, really transferred over to the hunting side of things. Mm -hmm. I think that some of those trout tactics that you, uh, that you kind of learn at a, at at a young age and throughout, whether it's fly fishing, spin fishing, uh, really doesn't matter, but it just the way you kind of learn the water and pick apart the water is very applicable. Whenever you go into the woods and you start picking apart the woods, it's kind of, in a way, the same exact thing. Uh, you're looking for, you know, certain features that are, uh, you know, very appealing, you know, not, mm-hmm. you're not going to catch a fish in every section of the water. You're not going to, uh, see a deer in every section of the woods. It's just you to kind of dissect the outdoors really intrigued me and it kind of gave me a, a great passion. And then, uh, once I finished through my schooling, uh, and started my career job, I just, wanted to kind of do my own thing. So I'm still doing my career job. Uh, but I'm hoping eventually that I'll step away from that and, and kind of, um, build a business to where it's kind of mostly public land and, uh, you know, uh, public, I I guess like all public related. Good deal. So you, so you said that you grew up fishing in like your, uh, now western pa so are you're still are you still like in the appalachian areas and that kind of stuff where all the really great trout streams are because you know being being from you know southern ohio and into kentucky i didn't really get into trout fishing until i mean probably within like the past like 10 to 15 years and really didn't even start fly fishing until the past couple three years but i've always heard that the farther north you go, like Pennsylvania, uh, New York into the Adirondacks and that kind of stuff, it's just absolutely killer trout fishing. So is, is it all brookies and rainbows or is it browns or cutthroats? Like what, what all do you typically do 
and uh, you know, what, what kind of waterways do you typically fish? Yeah. So, so typically like uh, actually around where I live um, just because we're, where I live is just outside of Pittsburgh. We're about okay. uh, like about a half hour northeast of Pittsburgh. So uh, the industrialization over the years kind of uh, put a put a little bit of a damper on some of the streams around here. But if you go about mm, probably about 20, 30 miles uh, east, you start mm-hmm. to you start to come into like uh, that's where you start to hit the Appalachians, uh, the Appalachian Mountains there, and uh, that's where you're getting into. Um, like the real good brookie fishing. Uh, it's yeah. not so much brown fishing. The brown fishing starts to pick up around central PA. And that's kind of uh, what I like to call on the East Coast, kind of like the Mecca for brown fishing, uh, brown trout fishing. That at one point was, you know, a lot of presidential streams and whatnot, where you'd have a lot of, you know, high-end people really fly in there and and fish those streams. And it, it was, it's very interesting. And then I want to say it was like through like the late nineties, they had like a huge die off in some of those Mm -hmm. streams. Um, And they really haven't linked it to anything. There's, you know, kind of talks about like pesticides and whatnot that, that kind of deteriorated a lot of the aquatic uh, insects throughout Mm -hmm. the stream. And then in in turn, just kind of diminished the, you know, the uh, overall population of the brown trout. But yeah, about like, I'd say it's about an hour and 45 minutes from my house. I hit, some of the some of the best brown trout fishing you can kind of hit uh on the east coast it's it's that's awesome yeah it's real nice to be that close it's very very fortunate well will will be listening to this podcast yeah i think that he will be too we'll go go hook up with (laughs) kyle and not take will yeah go 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 catch big brown trout (laughs) yeah yeah there's like i said there's so much out here i mean i i've just been kind of diving in on the brown trout side of things and i've over the past, I'd say since I was in college, so we're looking at like maybe four or five years now, um, and I haven't even touched, you know, even a little bit of the water. I mean, there's just so much water to fish. It's it's kind of hard to go and pick apart everything all at once. It's going to take me I a mean, lifetime. So. to. It's kind of funny. Um, all the people that I seem to mesh with, you would think that I would mesh better with people that like target big deer or whatever, right? All the people that are the coolest to me spend hours of their life and hike miles to catch glorified creek jokes. It's so hilarious. And I don't, I'll be honest, me and Will went down there to Tennessee and I didn't even fish Mm -hmm. and I had a damn blast. I mean, it is just, that's something that I think people should do a few times in their life, you know, go pick apart a stream and, it's funny because you could spit across this stream that we fished and again, little fish, but the most beautiful colored animal you could probably, unless yeah. you're looking at like uh what's the damn bird over Very there. Yeah. Me. <laughs> um, I mean, it's one of the most beautiful colored animals in the world. Yeah. And you spend all damn day to catch five if on a good day, you know, and you just, come off the water feeling like a freaking gem (laughs) yeah yeah that's that's the honest to god truth i mean i can't tell you how many times uh uh you know i've picked a picked apart a stream like that and like you said i'm i'm jumping across to get from side to side and there's Mm -hmm. cliff faces on one side you got to jump to the other side so you can walk and then you just come up on a hole and you know there's a fish lying in there and to it's very rewarding when you do pick that apart and you come across them holes and 
you know that there's probably somebody that hasn't touched that spot and you know god knows how long and uh you pull that fish a lot of times i mean i i just sit there and kind of just soak it all in it's just it's such a it's a very mm-hmm. cool experience yeah it's a very Absolutely. cool experience well, and it's it's so it's so different, um, and I, I don't think a lot of people get that. Is you know down down here, uh, well, not here because we're at Chris's house in Ohio, but like in Kentucky, um, they stock rainbows, you know, in tailwaters below a lot of the dams down here because they're cold water fisheries. And the one that we go and fish below Lake Cumberland pretty regularly get. Um, you know, you, you see the drift boats and that kind of stuff that you would normally see out West or up North. And, you know, they're, they're all pumped because they're, you know, catching, you know, uh, these, you know, trout that are, you know, they're, they're stalkers, but it, it's still so much fun because you have to think about where you're going to cast, how you're going to cast it in there, what you're going to do. And I mean, that's just for fly fishing with, you know, hard baits or even like, um, you know, small artificials or anything like that it, it, it's such a different style of fishing when you get into those big deep holes and that kind of stuff as well especially if you're if you're targeting browns or brookies or rainbows i mean they they all eat differently mm-hmm. yeah we, i uh uh i follow some of the the pa trout angler pages um through facebook and there's a gentleman up uh he's a little bit up north of me and it, it's unbelievable seeing the wild browns that he'll catch I'll bet you in a given year he'll pull probably over 30 fish over 20 inches and they're wow. wild. I mean, it's just incredible. Nice. And that's, that's probably a pretty conservative number. I mean, this guy just pulls monsters nonstop. Now is he using like, is he throwing big flies um, on short leaders for that kind of stuff? Or is he using hard baits? He's actually throws just Meps gold spinners. Oh like a gosh. like a, a size like one or zero, <laughs> just real big Meps gold spinners. Okay, the guy doesn't throw anything else. He uses uh oh geez, like a Berkeley cherry stick or something like that. It's like a twenty dollar <laughs> stick you get at Walmart. Uh-huh. And this guy just he hammers them, man. He just got it. He got it figured out, and it's so interesting to kind of to kind of see that because for some people that's a you know that's a fish of a lifetime, and to see him do it on a consistent basis is just. It's, it's, it's incredible. It really is. And it's, that's what, that's what you kind of get in Pennsylvania. And once you start to work work up North, you get into the steelhead Mm -hmm. and those guys just, they know how to, the guys up North just know how to get on those big fish. It's, it's really incredible to see. Well, and it's, it's always interesting when you see those guys who are on the big fish and they, they'll, they'll tell you a lot of times, like you, you can do this, you can do that, but you have to do it this exact way. And, you know, if you're not doing it that exact way, you're not going to catch the fish. Um, <laughs> and, and, and there's something to be said about like a confidence bait. I, I get made fun of frequently because I will throw the same bait over and over <laughs> and over again, but I know eventually it will happen. And it, you know, um, I, I caught my biggest rainbow this year that was pushing eight pounds. Um, wow. Yeah. And we, we beat the water all day. And, um, my brother makes fun of me. He, he's a, I mean, he, he's a very good fly fisherman and he's a very, he, he, he's what I would call like a big, big fish hunter. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, he makes fun of me cause I will sit there. Like if we're out on a lake, I'll throw a Zare spook 
consistently <laughs> just for the attempt. Like I know like eventually I'm going to get a blow up. And when I do get a blow up, it's going to be a big fish. Well, that's the thing too, is I was thinking about this the other day. So you stand in a spot and cast the same bait all day and catch the bigger fish more yep. often than not. Yep. And Will has all this fishing knowledge and tries all these different things, but who's, who's I mean, there's something you can to be said only, for being stubborn. <laughs> well, well, there's that, but I mean, let's face it. You can be as good as you think you are, mm-hmm. but yeah. if you don't catch the biggest fish, generally, <laughs> are you the better fisherman or <laughs> like, or maybe, you know, I, I find it, I, I think a lot of what it is, is that certain people, that kind of thing is beneath them. It's like somebody not liking, uh, for example, in, I run into this so much everywhere, but turkey hunting. You're not a real turkey hunter unless you call them into under 25 yards and, you know, you use a two and three quarter inch shell and you can't have decoy, like all this different stuff. And it's like, I just like killing turkeys. I'm here to catch big fish. Yep. Can I get a bait and a spot (laughs) that's going to help me do that? Like, I'm not so damn good that I want to play with it like a cat and a mouse. Like, that's not me. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I completely understand that. Yeah, I, I, there, there are a lot of people, and it, and it does work for them. Well, they'll, they'll sit there and they'll pound out, you know, a hundred yard section for the whole day, and then yep. I fish with other people where, you know, they'll, and I've even done it myself. I've gone through a run that's you know 100, 200 yards long and pulled out, you know, a dozen or so fish. And mm-hmm. then I, I pull out and I, I move and I go to another location. Yeah. Yep. I know I that's could sit smart. there all day and just, and just hammer them out all day long. But it's just because like I said, where, where I live, there's so much opportunity for, for, for the, in the water that it's hard for me to just say, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to, I'm okay with this location. I always like to go to the next one. Let's see. Let's see what this looks like that way. Nice. You know, Cause with, with, with great water comes a lot of people as well. So you get on these streams and it's exactly, and they're avid fishermen. I mean, they're not just your guys that, you know, just started fly fishing yesterday. I mean, they're seasoned, they know what they're doing and they'll, they'll be on a run for, you know, six hours. So it's, you got to be very mobile uh, with your approach throughout there, just so that, you know, when you show up to one of your spots, you know, you're, you're going to have a good start to your day at, and there's three guys there. You, you have a backup plan. Good deal. So speaking of mobility, uh, you uh, do a, a good bit of hunting on public land, correct? Yes. And I, and honestly just started that, uh, probably, uh, probably about three years ago is when we started really getting into really big into, uh, public hunting. Okay. What, what, um, I mean, like it, how do I, how do I want to go about this? I'm trying to get my brain right. Um, so like when you say you start like three or four years ago, was it just deer or was it small game? Was it, you know, you're far enough north where you still have birds in the woods and that kind of stuff with grouse and things like that, I do believe. Yeah, yeah. So it actually, it, I, uh, where uh, it was me and uh, my uh, my good friend, uh, Tyler Nelson, we started actually in, in Ohio, out your guys' way. We uh, we started uh, in a couple places, uh, Egypt Valley. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, Beaver, yeah. Beaver Creek. Yep. Bush Creek, or Brush Creek, and Brush Creek. Uh, Tri, yeah, and Tri Valley. 
Yeah. And then, and then kind of where we ended up after kind of picking apart those pieces is we really wound up uh, hunting Tri-Valley extremely hard. Tri-Valley. Yep. I won't mention anything until after this podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, the, I, I, that, that is place, a gorgeous ass piece of property, dude. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. the stuff we've seen on that property, I mean, we both kind of looked at our, you know, looked at each other when we'd come across, you know, some tore up ground and we just kind of look at each other like, my gosh, I've never seen anything like this before. That, so I, I turkey hunted um, this past season up there and uh, the turkey hunting was complete shit. We heard one single bird, but turkey hunting was very difficult for a lot of people last year. They didn't talk well here and uh, it was just too cold, cloudy all the time and all that. But we did get on one bird. Uh, They went back the next morning and heard somebody shoot said bird. So, um, but walking around there, I just thought, man, this, this place, that's, that's pretty decent. So anyways, we won't talk anymore about that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, I'm yeah. Already for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know Ohio, you know, nearly as well as you guys, but if I was, if I was going to, you know, pound it out on a piece of public for the weekend, that would probably be, that'd be my spot. I mean, that would yeah. be, that would be my go-to. I, we've had, we've had some nice run in with some really nice deer there. Just weren't able to capitalize on anything, but there is a, a lot of land. It's hard to run into people. I mean, there's a, yeah. There's, a, there's a ton of room out there. Dude, we went, um, so we, I drive up there. Keep in mind, that's a three-hour drive, basically. And, okay. Um, me and Josh drive up there to meet another buddy, and we hike way back in here, walk up to the top of this giant hill in, like, a power line clear cut, and uh, we're sitting there waiting for it to get light, and some dude – well, two dudes with flashlights are walking in the way we came and they're coming to us. And I'm like shining my light at them, trying to wave them off. Like, Hey, we're here. They walked right up to us. Oh, is that that place? That's, that's, oh, okay. that's where Chris lost his ever loving shit. <laughs> I, I was furious. Cause I mean, anytime, if I'm in a parking lot on public land, even on private land, if I'm hunting or fishing somewhere and somebody is there before me, I'm going to ask them where they're going and I'm going to go to the complete opposite direction right. mm-hmm. unless they ask me to come with them or something, which yeah. never happens. Um, I, I will never do that to somebody. And if I run into you in the woods, I'm going to apologize and let you know that I didn't see you. And I'm going to go the other way and we see that I don't affect your hunt, you know, in as uh, much a way as I possibly can. And that guy is like, Oh, I got a blind set up here. And I'm like, well, we won't talk about what I said on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I helped him understand how I felt, and then we moved on. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I, yeah, I feel like some of those unwritten rules uh, when it comes to you know public land. I feel like you know some people kind of abuse those. I, I, I fully understand. I mean, we all we all have the access to that. I just look at it, you know, the same way you guys do as common courtesy. I mean, I, yeah. you know, we we all spend a ton of time in the woods scouting and getting our spots and everything. And, you know, you just look at it from the other side, if you were on the receiving end of that, you know, it's a pretty bad, you know, it's an awful feeling when you are, you finally, all the puzzle pieces come together and you go and make that hunt. And then, you know, some guy busts through the woods, just 
unintentionally. And, and there are times where, you know, they don't see you and that, that is what it is. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that, but yeah, when it's blatant and you know, somebody's there and you make that move, uh, it's just like, it reminds me opening, you know, opening day at trout in Pennsylvania, everybody's making a power move on a hole and it's just, it's mayhem. <laughs> it's the same exact way you'll have 10 people's lines all tangled in each other. And it's just like, I'm like, wow, oh, wow. I, I, I can't do it. I, I, I really don't fish opening day. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's like a like the mommy walleye run and that where you and will went and like like everybody was on top of each other and you have to stand in the line and all that kind of stuff and <laughs> everyone's yelling at each other and yeah it, 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 it amazes me to no end that like again there's certain there's certain unwritten rules that i think that everybody really should just you know know like and some people don't like, I get it. It's, it might be your first time there or whatever, but like ask, just say like, Hey man, where are you going? Hey, you mind if I go down this way? Are you, are you here? And like, if, if that's the case, fine, just move on, find a different spot. And, and to be quite frank, like that, that's sometimes how you find your best spots is when you go somewhere else and you're forced to find fish or you're forced, forced to, to find and you're forced to adapt. Yeah. So that was something that I learned from um, a tournament fisherman. He, he had made the point where he's like, you know, if it's a bad day out and I'm fishing a tournament, he goes, he's like, I got to adapt. He's like, he's like, because there, there is no like, Oh, uh, instead of uh, bass today, I'm going to go fish for trout. It's like, no, I got a bass tournament. I got to figure out how to get bass or, if you are, you know, trying to fill a tag of turkey or deer or whatever, and your all your spots are taken, well, guess what? Like you got to adapt and find some other way of doing it. And sometimes that is the best thing you can do. Um, and, and that that's where you know I was kind of leading with with the mobility stuff earlier. Is like it, it it helps to be able to be mobile with your setups and that kind of stuff, so you can pull and you can just go if you've got a guy you know, who's refusing to, you know, not set up a hundred yards for it from you or something like that. Yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Yeah. And, and that, and just a, just a little, little story from the mobility standpoint. Uh, so I, I hunted Maryland the for, for the first time this year mm-hmm. and I, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It, it, it whooped my ass. I, <laughs> I, that, that's some, that's some rough terrain. So I, uh, I was, I was hunting kind of in the, in, right in the mountains and it and like i said it was up down up down i mean to the point where i wouldn't even i I wouldn't even carry in a stand or anything i would just strictly ground hunt and just try and pick apart the land and i i (laughs) i had some i had some i had some great opportunities just some silly opportunities where you just you don't think it's there but it's there like i i I walked probably three miles back and just sat right on the ledge of a right on the ledge of a, a steep slope just debating on whether to go down it or not and I'm sitting there and this was just my own dumb fault. I'm sitting there. I set my bow on the ground. My release is in my pocket and I pull my phone out and I just look up and 15 yards right off the, right off the face of that slope, a beautiful buck is just looking right at me. And I'm just sitting there like, oh my mm. gosh. so I'm trying, I'm trying to like fiddle around in my pocket, trying not to make a lot of movements and, you know, sure enough, once you, once you, once you move, once you move a limb, that's it. You know, he, he took yeah. off and, and it, and it was actually kind of cool. He took off and I, and I pulled up my phone immediately and I, I was on, uh, uh, I, I use uh hunt stand and I was on hunt stand. So I literally was looking at the topo and I 
booked it. I mean, I ran, walked as fast as I could to this big kind of bench that ran down into this, uh, this Creek bottom. And sure enough, I got like probably 50 yards up from that bench. And he was, he was just, I don't know if he had bedded down there or if he was just making his way across that, but sure enough, he was working his way across that bench, working to go down into that, into that Valley. So it's just, it's just like little things like that where, you know, it, it kind of makes you open your eyes that, you know, the, the more, the more you kind of put your feet on the ground and, and experiment, you know, you're going to mess up a lot of things. You really are, but yep. it, you learn, yep. you learn a ton, like just in that hour and a half, I learned probably more than I would have just hunting, you know, some of the private land around my house for a month. So it, it's just very valuable knowledge. It's, it's always interesting too, because, um, I started trying to think outside the box a little bit and I only ever hunted private until 2017. My buddy Matt got me into the private land thing or excuse me, the public land thing. And um, you are really, well, I guess maybe not everybody, but we, we really come up with some off the wall stuff to do. Yeah. And I'm telling you, like, if you name the top five dumbest places you could go to hunt in on a WMA or something, that's where you see deer because oh. nobody else oh. is hunting there either. Oh my gosh, you aren't kidding. There's so yeah, much truth say. to that. I, uh, I, I picked this spot. Uh, it, this was down in Maryland as well because I had ended my season very early in PA, and uh, and it was. I looked at it and, I, and it took me four different approaches just to get through this swamp. It was, it was miserable. You couldn't, mm. you couldn't walk through it. It was so thick. Finally, oh. I found like there was a horse pasture on the, there was private land on the, on the other side of it. And I found the quickest way just to get to that horse pot, horse, horse pasture. And then I just walked this guy's fence line the whole way back to a big pine grove uh, right on the other side. And my gosh, it was, those are probably, I hunted that, uh, probably for about like a week straight, just kind of picking it apart. And those were some of the best hunting days I think I've ever had in my life. And it nice. was, it was just right. It was right there in front of your face, you know, and, and I pulled into this. It was a, it was a WMA as well. And I pulled into this area. There was one other guy there and he looked at me like, you know, I had three heads. He's like, you're the first person I've seen hunt here all year <laughs> other than, other than himself. And it was just like, it was, it, it was, it was amazing. Cause you, you, you had this, it was probably 400 acres of, you know, of public ground that you honestly had between two people. And it was so, it made it so much easier to kind of pick apart. And it's just way overlooked areas, stuff that's going to keep your average person away from uh, those areas. Uh, That's what kind of produces those, uh, you know, good opportunities. It's just amazing to me. Like we'll hunt the dumbest places of all time. Like, we'll get out of our truck and go a hundred yards, 75 yards away from the parking lot and set up and be like watching people pull in and pull out and deer, deer pattern us way better than we pattern them. And they understand where nobody goes. The thing I think people forget about with deer is that they can literally smell wherever you've been like two days ago. So when they go through an area consistently that doesn't have human scent or it's very little, 
they know that they can go to that little pocket. And I think, you know, I think people don't respect fish enough, especially uh, older. I've learned from Rick and, and really my buddy, his brother, Will, um, older, like larger brown trout, dude, those things are smart. They're, are they like highly intelligent? No, but I mean, they, they learn somehow, you know, they, it's just amazing to me. Um, the little things you can do that trick a deer or trick a fish or put you in a spot where you would never in your life think, Oh, this will be a good day today. And you're sitting there pissed off. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, this is one of the most memorable, memorable days of my life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think honestly, uh, uh, kind of attesting a, a to you know the smartness of uh, of deer especially uh i had uh two of my uh, good friends that uh we kind of do our little youtube channel through um they they both killed some gorgeous deer this year one was uh, 167 inches and then the other one was oh. like 149 150 wow. um, and they both they just they made they made the power moves at the right time and it was a huge attest to being mobile. Um, you know, they, they went in there that day, hung their stuff and shot and killed that day. And it was a, a, a long process, especially for uh, Tyler. That's the one that shot the, uh, the 165, 68. I forget exactly mm -hmm. what it was. He was on that deer literally all year and he hunted it maybe four or five times. He only really, he only really set forth a ton of effort, maybe four or five times. And it was, it was just kind of, it was kind of cool to, to watch, sit back and watch him do it uh, because, you know, everybody gets, you know, they see that big deer and it comes across their trail camera. And then next thing you know, they hunt it and it's no longer there. You know, you overhunt, yeah. you overhunt a section and his patience was just, it was, it was amazing to see because it, it, it kind of showed a lot of people around our area that, you know, the patience and being able to pull the trigger at the right time. You can't go in there and hunt that deer every single day. Agreed. You need to find, you need to find the right day, the right wind. I mean, there's so many factors, the right set. And he just kind of put it all together in one day and it, and it, it finally came together for him. It was, and it was really interesting to see. Yeah. It's, it's truly amazing. You, you talk to anybody that targets big deer and you generally have the same thoughts coming out, especially people that are pretty consistently successful and big deer doesn't always mean booner or anything. You can right. have a 120 inch deer that's six, mm -hmm. seven, eight years old or whatever. And, you know, built like a freaking tank and has great beams and mass and everything, but, you know, just built like a freaking Brahma bull or Angus bull or whatever, but um, they'll generally all tell you the same thing. And the number one thing that, you know, in a lot of our minds is pressure, dude. Like, yep. You, when I started deer hunting, I remember I'd hang a stand and hunt the same stand 50, <laughs> 60, 70 times a year. And yeah. you know, after, you know, you'd see deer there within shooting range four times. And it's like, man, I really don't see a lot of deer. Never, never did it really mm -hmm. occur to me to move around a lot until I got mobile. I got a climber. And then all of a sudden, like all my buddies are like, dude, you kill a shitload of deer. What are you? And I'm like, dude, it's, I'm telling you when you can get into a different area, 
you know, because let's be honest, we've all done the screw-in steps. Yep. Those are awful. negative, negative awful. 150 fun. <laughs> oh, man. <to> <laughs> They're not fun at all. I, I, I had a screw, I had a screw in setup that somebody took this year and I get, I applauded them. I, I couldn't believe that somebody went through the effort to unscrew. There was probably 15 pegs in a tree and take, the, and take that whole setup. You know, I was kind of yeah, upset. I was just like, that's a ton of work. You know what? Have at it, man. Have yeah, at it. You, they lost money because I can tell you it took them a while and what they get 30 bucks. Yeah, yeah, right, right. You can have that shit. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to take it down. So you can yep. have at it. Yeah, that's that sucks though. But at the same rate, you know, I maybe they knew. I, I never know why people steal, honestly. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's yeah, it, it is a shame. It, it is an absolute shame. Yeah, but the whole the whole pressure with deer and really, I mean, I'll be honest. I think pressure on most animals. One thing that impressed me, I went out to Kansas with my uncle um, down in the Southwest corner and uh, there was just a bumper crop of birds. This was, hold on to your pants. This was 1999 <laughs> and we did party wow. like it was 1999. Okay, um, <laughs> uh, but it, I mean, it was just, incredible you could not go to a pheasant farm and stare into the pen yeah and see this many birds um i remember scouting the eve uh before opening day and i mean just roosters cackling and flying into roost everywhere and um the first day saw an absolute f ton of birds the next day significantly less and then by like the third or fourth day you like the weirdest things would happen you'd get out and shut the car door and get 10 yards into the field and like 250 yards out a bunch of hens would fly up and the dog would work that way and then behind you where you got out of the car four cockbirds would fly up and you're like what in the head like this almost seems strategic it's slightly frightening to me (laughs) that a damn pea-sized brain <laughs> is doing this. You know, it's just incredible. And they, they were always, it seemed like they were always one step ahead of us. Mm-hmm. And it's a bird. It's not a deer that can smell and think, you know, better. Um, you know, their brain activity can't be as much as like a deer or human or whatever, obviously. So no. it's pretty incredible, though, how everything, even fish, feel pressure. Mm-hmm. But I yeah. guess if I was trying to kill you guys, I mean... <laughs> Uh, that, I mean, that's really what it boils down to. If I went and sat outside your house trying to smoke you and your family every day, you'd probably come up with an alternative. I'd probably solution. be going out the back door. Right, the right. Door. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, it is a very similar concept. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I mean, I, I honestly, I think, uh, you know, how the how the mobile hunting is starting to uh, expand and everything. Uh, saddle hunting's become a very huge part. Yeah. Um, over the past few years, um, Chris, I know we've talked, and and I think we're both kind of in that same position where we're on the fence with it all. Yep. Um, I do I do enjoy it. I I really enjoyed it this year, but at the same time, uh, you know, I have a special place in my heart for uh, my lone wolf hanging hunt, or yep. you mm-hmm. know, whether it's an XOP hanging hunt. I, I think it's just a just a great setup and 
and you get in there and, and honestly, I, I found myself even sometimes being more quiet with my traditional hang and hunt than I am actually with my saddle setup. And maybe it's just because of the repetition I have with it. But, uh, yeah, I've, I, I, like I said, I've I'll always have that special place and I'll always use it. See, you know, season in season out, I'll always be using that. And I think it's just, you know, the way everything's going with, uh, you know, with this, the, the mobile side of things, it's expanding. And I, I think that's going to become like the, the climber of mm -hmm. the hang and hunt. Once the hang and hunt came out, the climber kind of disappeared. It kind of yeah. was a thing of the past. And I think that's kind of where, that's going to get to it's going to be the same situation where climbers are kind of going to be phased out and then I'm sure it'll make a full circle and go back to climbers again or something I like agree that. 100%. <laughs> it's There's crazy. always a circle there. And yeah. you know, it's funny because we always run into like this fad stuff. And, and I do think, uh, I think saddle hunting is a big fad. It's, it's very hot right now. It's very trendy. Um, but, uh, I struggle with a lot of guys because they, they claim it to be the be all end all. And I get on these saddle pages and you can generate, I mean, like I was talking about with people that I really like happen to be fly fishermen and all that. Um, you can find guys on these saddle pages that are rational and logical, but the vast majority are like gear junkies and, they think that saddle hunting is the only way you can hunt. And they're talking about like the weight uh, of eight millimeter versus 11 millimeter rope. Wow. And I'm, guys, Crazy. if you're worried about that, and one guy talked about the weight of different paints and I'm like, okay, holy shit, dude. Like you need to yeah. calm down because yeah, like, it's, it's, it's never know. crazy. It's getting yeah. crazy. I, I'm just a, I'm a, I'm a firm believer in, take what you need in to make you comfortable. Uh, you know, whether that's 20 pounds of gear or 10 pounds of gear, just, just take what you want, you know, take, take what's in there, take, bring what you want in. That's, uh, you know, going to make you comfortable. Exactly. Exactly. So, so speaking of like comfortability and getting in and out of the woods, um, like I said earlier, one of the reasons we like you kind of came onto our radar is you've developed some stuff through your business that is very light very mobile oriented and above all else the part that I like the most about it is it is attachable to things without actually like in like a um doesn't screw it doesn't screw in and that that's the best part so like when, when you attach anything to something in a tree in Kentucky, you cannot have it like attached into the tree. You're not allowed to screw it in. You're not allowed to use steps or anything like that on public land. So um, I really am interested in hearing your take on the stuff that you've developed. And if you could give us kind of a rundown of some of the things that, um, you know, that you've thought of and how you came up with these things and how you use them in, in your own uh, outdoor life. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's the same way it is in Pennsylvania. Uh, you're not allowed to screw anything into public land. So that, that, you know, just where I live kind of really drove a lot of that, but mm -hmm. as well, it's just, I, I always, I mean, for probably, you know, up until maybe three or four years ago, I screwed everything into the tree and it, it is a pain. I mean, regardless, yeah. regardless what anybody says, some trees are better than others, but if you get into a hard oak or a maple, I mean, it is a chore to get something into the tree. 
So that's kind of what started it all. And then uh, just kind of thinking through some of the, some of the design process was, uh, you know, the biggest thing on the market right now really is like uh, Amsteel. So I really like to mm-hmm. incorporate Amsteel into a lot of the things that I do, not just for the sole fact that it's kind of uh, what, what Chris had mentioned as like a fad type thing. Yeah. It's just the yeah. work, the workability of that stuff is, is just incredible. I mean, you can manipulate it to really do whatever you want and it eliminates all the knots in your whole setup. So I nice. always wanted to do something like that. And then in and, and using that, and then uh, that's kind of where I, what kind of kickstarted the whole business was the, the dew claw hanger. And yeah. uh, that was, you know, again, just something I had a, you know, I bought a 3d printer and was messing around with uh, me and a couple of my buddies. And we designed a couple prototypes. We took them out and they were like, dude, this is awesome. You could really do something cool with this. So that's kind of when I did like real small, just kind of like PayPal type stuff. Uh, hey, you know, posted locally and I had some local sales. And then finally I started reaching out onto some of the, you know, bigger Facebook pages and mm-hmm. just, just the kind of thought process I go through is, you know, throughout the course of me getting into the woods and, and, and getting into the tree to get myself set up for my hunt, what makes my life hard, what makes it harder than it needs to be. So I, you know, that's when I started uh, working on designing some of the clips for like the platforms that hook to the back of your saddle and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's just because I, when I would go out there, I'd have everything in my book bag and then I'd be hanging off the tree, swinging my backpack off, taking stuff out of my backpack. And I'm like, why not just utilize what I have readily available around my waist and just kind of, you know, use that to the best, to the, you know, the best way that I can to kind of, uh, uh, get the stuff on and off the tree as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I've had multiple people message me about that bow holder and literally say, verbatim how does this hold your bow i don't understand how this is staying on the tree and it's hilarious because i i mean i think i have an understanding because i understand canning things you know platforms and and uh you know your stands and everything so i i get it but when you look at it it is not something that you're thinking this is going to hold this solid and steady. I have yet, I have bumped my bow. I have yet to have any single issues with this thing. It's held my pack on one side, which for those that know me, I go kind of rough on the saddle guys that are like weight Nazi. Um, because I'll you mean, carry you mean the, the guy that you were just making fun of that right. ounces of paint. Right. Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Like, yeah. I'm going to call them Caitlin basically. So um, don't edit that. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I just, I struggle because I, I carry a crap load of weight and I really don't care. Do I think that when we go to Hill country and stuff that it makes a little bit of a difference? Sure. But I still get to the tree, I get there fairly quietly, get set up quietly and everything, and have a comfortable setup. But one of the things that always uh, cracks me up is when people start worrying about all this weight. So I get this bow holder from Kyle, and uh, I mean, it weighs nothing. It's, it's literally nothing in your hand. Mm-hmm. And, and you're sitting here like, are you sure? This is going to yeah. hold my, my the first time I did it, I'm like, shit, man, I, I hope this doesn't like, you know, like $1,500 to $2,000 hanging off of this. Thing. Right. But people are nervous, but honestly, 
you can get that thing so tight up against the tree. And then um, I don't know. Do you understand the damming? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you cam this thing, you just simply pull down on it a little bit once you get it tight and uh, it's there. Now, the one thing I will say is when you hang your bow from the bow holder and then you put a pack with a decent amount of weight in it, which mine always has mm-hmm. extras. Um, so, I mean, I'm probably hanging, I'll say probably about 15 to 20 pounds in my pack mm-hmm. uh, when everything that I need to bow hunt is out of it for the most part. Because there's still like binos and you know, water and stuff mm-hmm. like that, keys, mm-hmm. all that in there. I put my quiver in there a lot of times, even though now that I have this, um, it does come with three gear hooks. So I'll probably stick my pack on the back side of the tree and then bring one of those hooks over uh, closer to me and hang my quiver. But um, when you uh, remove your bow or your pack, it could slightly shift a little bit. Now, I don't cam mine super hard. Once I'm there, I'm there. I don't, I don't get super technical with it, but I've, I have yet to have any issues out of it. Um, I, I think it's an amazing thing. The, the one, like, I don't want to necessarily call it a downside because it's not a downside to me. Um, cause it's the same way with a stand or sticks. If there's a branch in your way, there's a branch in your way. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, you know, knots and stuff. And then you, you also just like climbing a tree have to pay attention which side of the tree you're on, because if you climb and you want your bow on your left side and the tree's leaning way off to your left, well, that's going to be an issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, that is, that is kind of the, that's kind of the, you know, the biggest downfall with like a lot of the strap on style stuff is, right. is just the le- the leveling adjustment type thing. Um, it's certainly something that's being worked on, you know, by, by a few of us out there, but uh, you know, it's also, you have to, you know, it's, I guess getting stuff to you guys at a, at, you know, something reasonable, like a reasonable cost, you know, we hate, sure. to, we hate, we hate to put, you know, bells and whistles on it that everybody's like, ah, yeah, it's really nice, but I don't need it, you know? So it's kind of like right. the, the perfect balance between, you know, giving you guys exactly what you need and then giving you guys too much and then it costing money for stuff. That's really not, you know, what anybody right. really wants. Yep. I agree. And the other thing is, is just like with anything else, especially with mobile hunters, everybody mods stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. I've already got an idea that I thought of just now to mod it a little bit, just to make it literally perfect. So, um, but I'm perfect for you. Well, yeah, sorry. sorry. Um, I mean, it really would help it. Uh, you know, essentially keep it from, keep you having to worry about the uh, leaning tree. But um, so tell us a little bit about other stuff that you've recently come out with, as well as uh, maybe something that you are. And plug your yeah. name. Company. We have yet to say the name of your company. Too, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So uh, yeah, my company's innovating the outdoors. Uh, we started back in um, late October and really didn't, kind of put forth a lot of effort until the beginning of November. So uh, we've seen a lot of growth. It's been, it's been pretty, it's been pretty interesting to see uh, just over, you know, the course of what's that three, four months here. Um, We've just seen a ton of growth in it and it's, it's really cool. A lot of people are backing it. And of course you have those people out there that, you know, say everything someone else makes is junk. So it's just kind of, you roll with the punches and 
you use it as motivation. But uh, yeah, some of the new things we just came out with, uh, some of the uh, new saddle, uh, saddle related stuff, uh, some latitude uh, method related stuff. Uh, we came up with some replacement clips for the Kydex clips that are just a known issue. They break and whatnot. So we kind of came up with a locking design for that. Um, and then our, our newest one, uh, which was a pretty, pretty hot seller was the new uh, trail camera mount, the ball, yeah. the ball head mount. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty cool. So that, that all started with, uh, I actually took, like, I, I purchased, a, a you know, several ball head mounts and I was this year I was running Moultrie mobile cameras. Um, and they're huge. They are, they are some heavy cameras. Yeah. So I couldn't get the, the ones that, you know, short of buying a Joby one, that's like 20, 30 bucks. I couldn't find one that would actually hold that camera and support that camera. So that's kind of why I actually designed my own, you know, locking ring and ball socket there is just because I couldn't find anything that would actually support that camera and do what I wanted it to do. So I kind of niched the whole, you know, well, I'm going to just buy something and attach it to a bracket to just making it all in one type deal. And that was a, that was, yeah, it was, it was a pretty, it was a pretty cool process. It kind of, it developed rather quickly. Uh, I started that back in, uh, October-ish, November as well. Uh, it kind of stemmed off of a GoPro, a GoPro mount, to be honest. Uh, we were looking for a way to strap GoPros to the tree, and that's kind of how it all started. And then I was like, oh, there's got to be a pretty decent market for trail cameras with this, and looked online to kind of see, you know, what what other people were doing, uh, like the big, you know, the big name people, uh, Reconics and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. nobody really offered a strap-in style. I think Browning offers one. And, uh, it's a huge, it's a, it's a pretty big, it's a pretty big piece of metal. You got to strap to the tree, but that was the, really the only one that I seen that was kind of strap on friendly. Like I said, I try to get away from the screwing stuff as much as I possibly can, just because I don't like dealing with it. Um, and then uh, for something like that, you might have to bring, you know, a, a wrench into the woods with you to get a lag in the tree. And if you forget that now your camera's stuck on the tree and whatnot. So I just kind of wanted to design something that's strapped right onto the tree and, and could, uh, you know, give all these mobile hunters or, and or private hunters just an ability to easily manipulate their cameras uh, to get them up in the trees or even just on those goofy trees where you can't get a good angle off your camera. Yeah. Yep. I also like, uh, what was that? There's a little deal you came out with that goes on the bottom of your stand that'll clip on or whatever. And like, you can strap your uh, your sticks to your stand, and um, what do you call on that? Yeah, so the, those are uh, I'm just I, that's kind of rolled into a collection. We're calling the gear management collection. Uh, we're going to start oh, cool. growing that a little bit. Um, yeah, it's just kind of a everybody uses bungees. I think they're you know they're the the cheapest and best thing you can do to to really cinch down your stuff. I, that and the uh, like the gear ties that you can buy the night eyes gear ties. Yep. I think most people are using that kind of stuff. So I wanted to integrate, you know, what everybody's already using into like systems designed specifically for, you know, saddles, tree stands to where you can kind of just clip it on, snap it together and it's all in one and you're not going to lose it. I, I can't tell you how many times I've lost little black ball bungees in the woods, drop <laughs> them into the leaves. Yep. And the next thing you know, it's gone. Yep. Yep. That's uh, that's what I'm currently using now. The little ball ball ended bungee i forget what they're called um it's a weird name but uh that's what i'm currently using uh, they've worked so far but i don't like how they're like 
hanging down off my stand. So might look at modding that or something this year. Um, yeah. Let's see. I feel like there was one other thing you had that we're missing. Am I crazy? Um. I, yeah. Just uh, kind of looking into the looking into the future. Um. We're going through the testing on mm -hmm. our uh, on our prototype sticks. Um, Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. That. Yeah. So we're uh, we're we're getting a new prototype back here. Hopefully this weekend or early next week. Um to try out a new, a, a new design. I kind of overhauled the design completely. Um, huh. the weight is, the weight is, is, is perfect, is, at least in my eyes. And just, you know, talking with several other people, it'll come in about like 1.6 pounds. Um, wow. and what, what we're really driving to do honestly with this stick is, uh, you know, there's so many options out on the market right now. Uh, the biggest gripe I hear from people a lot is foot room foot room's a big deal uh mm -hmm. i have small feet and some of these sticks i mean you're on your tiptoes and like i said i have small feet i think i wear like a a size 10 in like muck boots like a maybe maybe not even a 10 in muck boots so i have a pretty oh, wow. small pretty small foot and some of these sticks out there and and you know not to not to bash anybody's product or anything but they just to keep their weight down they brought them so close to the tree and i think that's a huge not only just a makes it difficult to climb it just makes it a little unsafe uh, and so yeah, right. we're bringing these sticks way far off the tree uh probably i would say probably going to be one of the one of the furthest sticks away from the tree so it'll have a plenty of foot room and then as well another thing we really were trying to keep in mind is to really hit a price point of like you know kind of trump everybody on the market other than the real the real big mm -hmm. names like lone wolf and xop we're, we're trying to come in around like 80 85 dollars a stick and wow. and just and just given the market that's a that that's pretty cheap and and it's none of it's going to be sourced outside of the usa it'll all be made actually right in western pennsylvania within nice. probably about 10 miles from my home so we're trying to keep it all local and and offer a product to you guys that's you know not gonna not gonna kill you in the Sweet. bank account I like it. Well, you got any uh, you got any uh, closing thoughts? What do we say? Concluders. 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 Yeah. Yanni. Concluders. <laughs> um. Uh. Well, yeah. I'll go first this time. All right. Yeah. Um. So, uh, as always, I got my one that I always go over. If you have the opportunity, take somebody uh, fishing or hunting this year, get them out in the outdoors. Please do so. Uh, it's a great place to get people out to. And seasons are coming up. Um, regs are getting ready to come out. I know that Kentucky just released their spring hunting regs today. They released their fishing regs last week. So it's it's getting to be that time. Kentucky's uh, a terrible place to fish or hunt. Don't ever go there, ever. <laughs> <laughs> Um, speaking of, of that, uh, today, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be the, uh, week of the 20, the 22nd or something like that, which means the outdoor year, the fiscal outdoor year, at least for most States switches over. So please remember as of the, as of March 1st, get new fishing licenses, get your, uh, tags bought, get your new hunting licenses and all that kind of stuff, because the new outdoor year will be beginning and you don't want to be caught with your pants down trying to get stuff done, especially if we have issues with COVID closures. I doubt that we will like we did last year, but just make sure that you're uh, keeping up with that kind of stuff because it's important to stay on top of and 
Kyle, I can't wait to see uh, the products that you guys are putting out. Uh, personally, I'm I'm really excited about it. But those are those are my concluders for this week. All right, all right. Kyle, how about yourself? Yeah, no, I just want to reach out to you guys and just thank you guys for the opportunity to come on and uh, you know do this uh, podcast with you all. Uh, it's been a you know great opportunity. It's, I'm, I'm new to this whole you know uh, podcast side of things, so it's it was a interesting experience and I had a lot of fun with you guys and I, I really appreciate it and uh yeah kind of uh just agreeing with both of you all uh you know if you have the opportunity to get someone new out into the woods whether it's a uh, a younger kid or yes you know an, an older person that that hasn't had the opportunity in a long time take them out it doesn't have to be a successful outdoor experience just take them out because that's what it's all about it, it just getting out there and and you know exploring what uh what god had given us so absolutely Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess my, my final thoughts, if you will, Jerry, um, <laughs> get, uh, get out there and start walking. We've got turkey season, shed seasons, basically here. Yeah. We're in full swing. People are shed hunting, but not everybody does that. Um, so get out and start power walking, maybe with a little pack on and, uh, maybe even carry a heavy shovel in your hand to replicate a gun. Um, don't look like you're going to bury someone. Maybe don't. use a rake. <laughs> um, yeah. But um, yeah, you just, got a bag of lye in the backpack. You, you get out there and, and start power walking and everything. Cause if you're any kind of a public land sort of run and gun guy, when it comes to turkeys, the last thing you want to do is decide to not go the extra mile or have it like I've had it with all these young little suckers that I hang out with now. Um, you don't want to be the last guy getting to the spot to set up. So um, you want to be able to keep up with everybody and do your part and pull your weight. So get out there now and start walking, maybe a little jogging or something. Um, and uh, just get ready for turkey season, guys. It's uh it's a great time to get out there and experience something new. Just don't go to the land that I hunt. Um, <laughs> but uh, really appreciate you working with us and coming on the podcast. I definitely plan to link up with you in your state and have you here as well. And maybe even down in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, and I definitely, this is not the last podcast and I'd love to uh, have some film of us on our YouTube channels and everything, man. Absolutely. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds perfect to me. All righty. Good deal. Well, this has been Fueled by the Outdoors. We've been hosts Rick Gates and Chris Leffert. And this evening, we've been joined by Kyle Skelly of Innovating the Outdoors. Kyle, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. And we will talk at you guys later. Have a good week. Bye. And that will do it for our podcast today. Please remember to subscribe, like, review on all major podcasting platforms. We are available on Apple, Google, TuneIn, CastBox, Spotify, and all other major podcasting platforms. As always, we are available for contact at theeliteoutdoors1 at gmail.com. That is theeliteoutdoors1 the number one, at gmail.com. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you next time.